You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you for another Sunday morning. You know, I'd be very surprised if I was the only one asking God questions like, what is it you're doing just now? What is it you're saying to us as the church? Lord, please tell us your plan. Why is this virus still here? Why are people still dying? Why do we still have lockdown? What's life going to be like when lockdown is over? I've heard a good number of Christians say, I'm really fed up with this now. I really have had enough. And that's us as the people of God. People who believe that God is with us, has plans and purposes, and is always working those plans and purposes out, even at a time like this. So what must it be like for people who have no faith to rely on at all? Well, we're still here in lockdown, over 60 days in, over two months, and people are still getting sick and still dying. So it's really important for us to hear what God is saying to the church in these really difficult days, when he has slowed everything down in a way that we never would have believed could happen. So we have God-given time to get our hearts right, to wait patiently for him to speak, and to allow him to use us to bless each other and to bless our local community so that it will see a spirit-filled church on fire for him. So I was looking at scripture and God has led me, I believe, to look at King Jehu in the Old Testament to show you what I believe God wants to say to us today. Of course, Jehu wasn't always king. The first time we read about the man is in 1 Kings chapter 19. Let me just remind you a bit about this story. You see, there's God and there's a prophet Elijah. And the God is talking to Elijah um, at a very traumatic time for him. He's on the run. Queen Jezebel is after him and she, he knows that she is not taking prisoners. He has a death sentence over his head. If she finds him... He's a goner. And eventually he says to himself, you know what? I've had enough. Take my life. I just can't go on. He's really not being melodramatic. He feels genuinely that he is completely done in, completely finished. So a lot of that is because he's very, very tired. And you know, a lot of it is because he thinks he is the only one left being true to the God of Israel. Do you know what? His get up and go has got up and gone. So what does God do? Well, he sends his angel to provide him with food and with sleep. And so he sleeps. And when he wakes, the angel gives him more food and sends him back to sleep so that when he next awakes, he's renewed to the point where he's able to embark on a long and hard journey to Horeb, the mountain of God. And when he gets there, he goes into a cave and talks with God. And he still brings up the fact that he is the only one. And God tells him to do something, which he does. He goes outside just to wait to see God. 
and we know first came the strong and powerful wind, and then an earthquake, and then fire, all raging, all furious, all loud. But God wasn't in any of those things. God came in a gentle whisper, in the still and in the quiet. Nowadays, we long for the spectacular, the miraculous demonstrations of God's power and authority. And you know, we can be quite guilty of thinking this is the only way that God can, can convince mankind that he's still alive and he's still working. And yet, God is often in the quiet, waiting for us to meet with him, to listen to his voice, to do his bidding. I know it's very hard for many people today, but we have never been slowed down like this before, and it has to be for purpose. I know you're all so faithful in seeking what God is saying to you, but I would encourage you to, eat, to spend even more time with him, really listening to what he's saying and praying for our town and for those who need Jesus. Let's watch together for God, loudly or quietly, doing something amazing in our town, in our nation, even in our world. For some people, this is not a quiet time. It's a frantic and a scary time, I know. We sorrow every day as we read of those who are sick, those who have died, those relatives of the sick and the dead. We're gutted for the people who have lost jobs and don't even know how they're going to provide for their families. Every number we see is a person and represents a family being adversely affected. We need to pray for the people, these people. But for the vast majority of us, we're just a bit inconvenienced and gifted with time. So let's make good use of it and stop and wait for God. Elijah is now ready and outside waiting for God as he came in that still, small voice. But he's still convinced he's the only one left true to God. And so here we are at verse 15 of 1 Kings 19, and God speaks and tells Elijah what he has to do. Read it with me. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Verse 16. Also anoint Jehu king over Israel and Elisha to succeed you. And verse 17 tells him what they are going to do. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Wow, that's a kind of unexpected dream. At, sorry, it's a kind of expected dream at for kings at that time, but very unexpected dream at for a prophet. But I really love verse 18, because it's almost God saying, Oh, and by the way, he says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, Elijah, you're not the only one, so you can stop the pity party now. Well, that's how I would have put it to him. But before we leave Elijah's story, I would just like to point out the first thing that Elijah's told to do. As for me, it's a very important thing to note. He starts off, God says, Go back the way you came. Wow, go back to where you lost sight of me and find me again there. It's a special word for someone listening today, I'm sure. Go back 
to where you lost me because I'm there and I want to work in your life. But enough said about Elijah. Let's look at Jehu and what he can teach us. His story can be read in two chapters um, in 2 Kings, chapters 9 and 10. But I have to warn you, it's a grisly tale. Loads of killing and our 21st century minds are quite abhorred to it. If I'm completely honest, I find reading it quite repulsive. But it's in scripture, so it has to be there for a reason. And you know what? We can't just pick the good bits that we like. So Warren Wearsby says, we may cringe at reading these events, but we must remember that God had given the house of Ahab many opportunities to repent and escape judgment. While Jehu's zeal may have gotten a bit out of control and his motives not always spiritual, we have to recognise that he was God's instrument of wrath against a wicked family. God waited many years and his judgment slumbered while his mercy was extended to an undeserving nation. And Warren Wearsby also adds a word of caution for today when he says, Let the sinner take heed, lest he try the patience of God and sin away the day of grace. That's a hard word, but it is accurately what the Bible says. So, through Elijah, Jehu is given two things he has to do. The first is to destroy the house of Ahab, and the second, to root out evil in the land. And it sounds like he's very happy to obey. And 2 Kings 10 shows Jehonadab joining him, someone else. This was a, a ve- he was a very zealous Jew who wanted above all else to rid the land of idolatry. So let me read for you the verses I want to speak about this morning. So 2 uh, Kings chapter 10, verses 15 and 16. And I'm reading it from the New International Version. After he, that was Jehu, left there, he came upon Jehonadab, son of Rechab, who was on his way to meet him and said, Are you in accord with me as I am with you? Or as the Revised Standard Version says, Is your heart true to me as mine is to yours? I am, said Jehonadab. Give me your hand then, said Jehu. And so he did. And Jehu helped him into the chariot. In verse 16 he says, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And then he had him ride in his chariot. So we have two men of one accord. Until this point, all we see is Jehu bark orders and have his soldiers do whatever he says. But now we have another side to him. And I think good words as we seek to serve our God. So let's look at what we can glean from these two verses this morning. Three points I want to bring you. The first is, hearts right. Second, hands together. Well, metaphorically just now, I think. And the third is, holy zeal. So number one, is my heart right? Is your heart right? Jehu asked the question, is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? It's a question David asks me every day. And I say, of course. But, you know, this is really the first requirement for any work of God and a question we should always have in our minds. See, Scripture acknowledges our hearts are not right all the time. They're not naturally right. 
We don't like to think about that, but it's the truth. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says it. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, that's not good. Maybe that's just an Old Testament view. But no, turn over to the New Testament and this is Jesus saying something about our hearts. In Matthew 15 and 19, he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This is Jesus speaking to show that the human heart is a nesting place for all sorts of evil, instincts driven by our, conscious, our unconscious minds. So it sounds like we are really without hope, except 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Coming to Christ is all-encompassing. That's why we talk of new birth, of being born again. Everything made absolutely brand new in Jesus Christ. We have a new heart. You know, this is the clearest picture we have of what happens when someone comes to Christ. He is a completely new creation. Oh, thank you, Lord. The heart is obviously very, very important to God because it's spoken of a great number of times. I usually use the New International Version of the Bible where the heart is mentioned 489 times in the Old Testament and 81 times in the New. But if you use the Old King James, heart is mentioned 725 times in, in the Old Testament and 105 in the New so I think we can safely say that it's important that we think about our heart because that's where all our motives come from. As Jeremiah 17 and 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Wow, thank you, God, for Jesus. Otherwise, we could never stack up. We'd be doomed eternally. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Oh, the word of God is such a priceless gift to us. Romans 10 and 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Or Romans 5 and 5, and hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God has so much to say about our hearts. Psalm 119 verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart, says the psalmist, that I might not sin against you. Or Psalm 4 and verse 7, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. He is everything that we need. It's absolutely amazing how God uses a heart given over to him. He really loves just being with us. Wow, isn't that beyond comprehension? So why is it, do you think, that we struggle from time to time? What gets in the way? Well, the easy answer is sin. Sin gets in the way. 
we do we do the things we we sorry why on earth do we sin do we do the things that we know are against what he wants us to do now that's a whole minefield isn't it and we're not going to get into too much of that this morning but you know we honestly don't want to sin we're a bit like the apostle paul when he said the things i want to do i don't do and the things i don't want to do i do that's the human heart isn't it Somehow we're in the middle of it before we stop to think. We need to be far more aware of the hurt it causes, not only to others, but to ourselves and to God. Not dealing with sin hardens our heart because we don't want to hear him deal with it. Paul spoke about it in his letter to the Romans in chapter 2 and 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. We never, ever want to be in that place. When our hearts are right, we're ready to serve God. And oh, we do want to serve him, don't we? So Jehu and Jehonadab say, hearts right, we're together. So what's next that's for us this morning? Well, number two is hands together. Now, we can't physically do that just now. No handshakes, definitely no hugs. It's awful. But we are still in this together, albeit online. And the encouragement that we've had and been able to share has been absolutely phenomenal. Well, Jehu reached out to Jehonadab and said, give me your hand. It gives such a sincere invitation for working together. Folks, we're in it together. Take my hand. I'm with you. Come and ride in my chariot. Well, you know, the Bible is so full of great examples and exhortations about working together. We are not called to go it alone. Hallelujah. We need to be together, which is why Tom and Jess and the leadership teams have been working so hard to do virtual church. We have a deep need to be with others, to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to be with family. Psalm 133 starts, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. That includes the women too. The amazing book of Acts shows how important it is for unity. Chapter 1 and 14, they were all joined together constantly in prayer. Or chapter 2 and verse 1, wow, we know this one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Then we know what happened. There was a mighty Holy Spirit explosion. Listen to what Paul and Timothy have to say about this in Philippians 2 and verse 2. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Riverview thrives because of the genuine love we have for each other. The world doesn't operate in this way. Therefore, number one, for me or for mine, we're first. That's what our nature is. But God has planted us together and we grow together, making room for each other to blossom too. There's such power in a united church body. It shows the needy world what is possible for a people who genuinely have the same purpose, working together for the good of all, not putting anyone down or clambering over anyone to get to the top. Here's my hand, come with me, see my zeal for the Lord. 
And that brings me very nicely onto my third point, zeal for the Lord, holy zeal. We need holy zeal in our lives and in our churches today and out and out running after God and after the things that he says are important. We want that Riverview Church is known as a people who are out and out for God. The church at Laodicea was condemned in Revelation for being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Foot in both camps. Don't rock the boat. Do whatever way you want to do. Go whichever way you want is the, perfect, is the popular choice. We're not going to talk about sin because it might offend you. Live any way you want because we just want you to, to be here and we want to please everyone. But God says, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. What an indictment. How awful. God, make us zealous for doing the things your way, even when it goes against the norm. Make us zealous in proclaiming the gospel. We need churches who are zealous for Christ, for he is the answer to every circumstance in life. It's such a pity that Jehu didn't fulfil his full remit, for he didn't root out evil. He worshipped carved images instead of the true God. You know, no one is exempt from temptation. It's really important we pray for our leaders so they keep their hearts right and seek God and his will constantly. So people of God, in this time of waiting, let's make sure our hearts are right, our hands are together, and we have holy zeal for the things of God. Lord, may our local community see our zeal for you and know that it's real and that you're for them. People of God, it's a very different world we're living in today and there is great uncertainty causing people to be really afraid of what might be. We have the answer, so let's determine to work for our King Jesus and see him high and lifted up. Listen, you might be concerned you don't know as much as others do. You might think someone else would do a far better job. But hear me, you are God's first choice. He has chosen you for purpose. It is you he needs. Let me encourage you with the words of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. He said, it's far better to have zeal without knowledge than to have knowledge without zeal. So take this with you. Hearts right, hands together, holy zeal. It's a winning combination. So may the Lord richly bless you and encourage you as you simply share Jesus and your love for him with your neighbours and friends, for he's the only one who can meet their needs. And this is the best way to love your neighbour. <laughs>